Welcome to Mamas in Training, a podcast that gives new moms guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm Jessica Lorian, a mama in training myself, so let's learn together all about this thing called motherhood. It's not just connecting through music, it's learning the baby's language, and their language happens to be very musical, but it's all of the tone, the melody, the rhythm, the gestures, that's the stuff of our baby's language. And so I think I finally allowed myself to go there, and once I did that, I I just felt like this was my key into motherhood, and I want to share this with others. Want to know one of the best ways to connect with your baby before they are even born? Want to know how to prepare your baby for transitions like bedtime or lunchtime? Want to know what the number one way is to soothe your baby without your arms? That answer is your voice. On the show today, Verid Benahorn from Babies in Tune tells us how we can start to create that bond and attachment to our baby when they are still in the womb with the use of our voice and the power that it has. Here is Varid. With that first that I didn't sing with, um, it's not just that I didn't sing with him. I I wasn't fully connecting to him, only because I Mm -hmm. got to see how it is with the second and third. I mean, otherwise, (laughs) I wouldn't have known. But um, at some point, at some point, I did start to sing to him. And... I remember that when I started to sing to him, I I would just make up these little ditties about what I was feeling, what he was feeling, our time together. And when I started doing that is when I finally felt connected to him. You're an award-winning musician, music and psychotherapist, mom of three, but you didn't start singing with your baby right at first. And then when your third was born, your daughter... Mm -hmm. You did the opposite. You took her on a road trip. And as you said, you had a five-month-old roadie. So how did it feel to have her by your side during that time? First of all, I love that the research you did. Good for you. Um, (laughs) It was great. I, by the time my third was born, I was, um, I was much more surrendered to the mom role. I was actually someone who fought it. I don't, it doesn't seem that way. When you look at the work I do now, I think people are like, oh, she's just one of those born nurturing mamas. No, I fought it hard at the beginning. And, you know, it's such a kind of an assault on your identity and your space, your time. And I was like, this is not going to change my life. I'm going to continue doing the things I do. I was a therapist at the time at an addiction clinic. I loved the work I was doing. Um, I was doing music therapy in different places. I started a PhD program <laughs> right right as I got <laughs> pregnant. I was like, no, no big deal. And so, but that also meant that I was giving up on music. I had given up on my dream as a rock star. Um, when I got pregnant, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a grown up now. I'm going to go learn to be a therapist and that's what I'll do. And so by the time my first came around, it was complicated. I had a complicated relationship with music. I had given it up for him. So it, I didn't sing at first. And, and the reason why with my third, I was able to take her on, on the road trip, I was just much more, um, 
I molded to her and she molded to me. I was already smarter about motherhood. I wasn't trying to fight it. So yeah, that's why it was just um, more organic by the time she came around. You mentioned that you wanted to be a rock star <laughs> and that you had to give up on your rock star dreams. But this is the most beautiful thing I think I've ever heard. Mm. When your baby looked into your eyes as you were singing, you say that you were connected and you felt more like a rock star than you ever dreamed. Gosh, is that beautiful? Mm. How can all women out there embody their inner rock star as mm. a mom? Mm, such a good question. You know, what I think is so beautiful is that our babies want to hear their parent more than anyone. They want to hear the voice of their caregiver and more than anyone, the person who carried them, right? Because that's the voice they heard from conception. That's the, that's the voice mm -hmm. they've been hearing. And yes, it sort of sounds like this, you know, when they're in the room, it's a womb, it sort of <laughs> sounds like it's through water. But this is the voice that they've been hearing. And so there have been research studies showing babies respond most of all to those first voices. But, but there's another part of this. There are also studies showing that babies respond to singing more than speaking. They become more alert, mm. more engaged, more soothed. Their cortisol levels go down. You know, they become calmer. So what I... What I tell parents is that um, your baby already sees you as that rock star. There's not much you have to yeah. do. <laughs> it's just a matter of, of doing it. I mean, even today I had a class and a couple of the moms there, I mean, I think most of us feel insecure when we sing. And I'm saying mm -hmm. from the people who have never done it to Beyonce. I mean, we all do. It's just... yeah. Yeah, it's partly because absolutely. when we sing, it's it holds emotion. It's not just when we speak, it's sort of more in our intellect. But singing bypasses mm -hmm. our intellect and it comes from our emotion and that feels really vulnerable. And so all of us, as, and you know what? I, I, could, I, I would put my money on the fact that every single one of us has been told not to sing when we were little. Like yeah, at some I point agree. we've been told to shut up, don't sing that, whatever. So... We need to get through that, but I think that our baby is such a perfect opportunity because they just want to hear you, and you don't have to do it near anybody else except for your baby, but if you do bring yourself to sing with your baby, you will feel like a rock star. They're going to gaze into your eyes, and their eyes are going to say, just more of that. Do more. Those clients that do feel that hesitation, they don't feel like they sing, what kind of tools do you give them to just take those baby steps? What, what can they do? Yeah. So the first thing is um, to just really recognize that we all feel that way, literally. I mean, there's, there's a few different ways to come at it. There's the physical, emotional, and logical. <laughs> I think I usually tackle the logical first, <laughs> which is that, and this is, you know, everybody wants their babies to grow up being musical. But none of them are going to do that unless they see us enjoying it. So the more that our babies see us enjoying anything, when they see us enjoying being on a yeah. phone, they're going to want to be on the phone. So the more they see us enjoying mm -hmm. anything, they're going to want to do that thing. And so that's the first thing I say as like an argument of, look, forget the vulnerability stuff. You want to do this for your baby. I know you do. 
because if you can find a way to enjoy this, your baby is going to also. But from a physical standpoint, it has to do with, um, you know, first relaxing. Um, and, and I do teach a soothing technique and we do some exercises. We put our hand on our chest. We see if we can make a resonant sound. We talk about the belly. We talk about the jaw and, and just uh, bring our attention to the body. But especially when we sing to soothe because the baby's not going to be soothed if we're not. So, um, exactly. so it's, I think it starts with, with having so little expectation. So just making a sound, seeing how it sounds, seeing how it feels, how can you make it more resonant? How can you fill the room? How can it be something that you're not expecting to sound like Elton John? But there are other little things that I suggest. For instance, with the lullaby, I think it's really nice for parents to put, take, let's say, earbuds and just put one in and put your lullaby in so that you have a little bit of help. Specifically talking first about pregnancy. I think it's fascinating. I was reading some info that you were talking about when a baby is in utero. So at what point can they hear and connect to music? Yeah. So at, I think it's at 18 weeks, they can start to really hear, but at 26 weeks, they can really distinguish. That's when they start to have a memory of what they're, what they hear later. It's unbelievable that then these Mm, babies. So I loved this one study where the parents, there was a control group that didn't play any music, but the parents um, who were, were playing Twinkle Twinkle five times a week. And when the babies were born at birth and at four months, they played Twinkle Twinkle, but with a slight melody shift. And the babies who had heard this song over and over responded. That's how you know that they remember it, right? Because it's really hard to know, do they remember it or not? How are you going to find that out? And Mm -hmm. the way they usually do things like this with babies is, are they moving their head? Are they keeping their gaze on something? Are they showing a preference? And so these babies consistently showed um, this awareness of, wait, that's different. You just, that was a different note than I'm used to which is so fascinating. (laughs) I mean, these little musicians from day one. Yeah. I have a friend that I recently reached out to after doing the research on you because her baby would soothe to Metallica. (laughs) And so I sent her a text just last night, just out of curiosity, because I said, after, after reading everything that you were talking about, I said, did you play Metallica when you were pregnant? And she was saying that, yes, her husband would play um, some some other program often. And on the program, it would have a lot of Metallica. Mm. And then it ended up, it was something he was just watching a lot and listening to a lot. And that continued into when the baby was born. And literally, they'll be on a drive. And she's taken videos of this before. Sweet little Ellie will be in the back and she'll be upset. They put on Metallica. And she goes right to sleep. Oh, my God. And she relaxes. I mean, that is, you cannot make that up. That's pure genius. Amazing. It's amazing. And I think the really good thing to remember with that story, people think there's like a specific type of music. You know, there has to be the the type of, yeah, it's not. It's just going to be the thing that soothes us, that feels good for us. And if it happens to be Metallica, great. Let's say for me, it might be like, how deep is your love or something like that. Every time I hear this (laughs) song, I kind of relax a little. 
And baby yep. from the fetus, you know, picks up on this, on this relaxation, this association to calm. It goes even further than that, that there was the, the study that I love, you know, this is like such a good argument for this stuff. It shows that if you play or sing your lullaby when the baby is in the womb, later on, they sleep for longer amounts of time. They're soothed for longer amounts of time. Wow. If that isn't an argument for this stuff. Absolutely. So that's clearly a very tangible thing that pregnant women can get started on. Pick a lullaby or would you say more than one or just the one lullaby? That's a good question. I, I would say to kind of go with one, but the, it might be different for your partner. Your partner might want to have a different right, lullaby right. and that is fine. Your baby's going to yeah. end up associating each lullaby with the partner or with the person. What are some other things while you're pregnant that you can do to start getting your baby used to music and all of the things to, whether it's just enlighten them and, and yeah. make them happier or whether it's the soothing aspect? Yeah. So I think there's two big ones. One of them is dancing. So this one, you mm -hmm. know, just moving your body to the rhythm. Babies, we know this after they come out when they're very little, they are they love rhythm and they want to be in sync with a rhythm. So when they're in our belly, it's such a nice opportunity to do that, to soothe with a rhythm, to hear a rhythm. They're going to hear that music and to move to it. They want to be moving. You know, your, your listeners, you're going to feel how much your baby loves to dance when they're on the outside, but just trust that they do on the inside as well. And I think it's so good for mama too. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. I would spend a lot, especially with the third, again, because I just was surrendering to the whole thing a lot more. But with the third, I did a lot of dancing. And I kind of would imagine <laughs> myself in the forest, you know, with like other <laughs> pregnant women, the way maybe it was at some point. And yeah. yeah, just kind of feeling this big, just feeling very mother earthy, you know, you could kind of this flower and music helps us get out of our thinking, like I said. So yeah, that's definitely one is to dance. And mm. the second would be to start thinking about your playlist for your birth. And there are studies mm. showing this too, that it will, it's not only going to bring down tension and relax the mama, but there are studies showing it will actually reduce pain. So, wow. yes, to start getting together your playlist and just knowing that you might have a different playlist for this baby as opposed to if you're going to have another baby. I had a completely right. different playlist for each baby. For instance, my mm. first one, I was listening at the time to a lot of like yoga type music. So it was all Snatam Kaur. I went into my birth. I was feeling like, oh, I can do this really like in this Zen way. And in between contractions, I would try to go into like a mini meditation. With my second, it wasn't that way at all. It was all Stevie Wonder. I, there happened to be a shower there. I was in the shower the whole time. My husband stood outside mm. with the with with our little like speakers, and I had and I was just kind of dancing around to Stevie Wonder in the shower. <laughs> so um, such different births, and I think that the music really created the environment for them. I think that's important for women to know too, because we can get a little hung up on how 
we think things, you know, should be, or maybe we're not allowed to do certain things, but the power to know that, yeah, just go in there. And if you need to get up and dance around, if you need to put music on, if it changes from one minute to the next and you want to go from your yoga music to then your Stevie Wonder, go for it, you know, it's really empowering. Yeah. We touched a little bit on this, but I love when you mentioned how babies are our emotional antennas, right? And they feel when we're mm-hmm. when we're stressed and they feel when we're relaxed. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about sort of, especially when you're trying to sing and you're trying to go through these moments, you had mentioned sort of with breathing, how you can calm yourself down. Can you just mention how how that would be best for women to practice that. Now, this can be, I think, when you're pregnant or even with newborns. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, singing when you're pregnant is a little harder um, because the baby is pushing on your diaphragm. and Breath support, yeah. Yes, it's harder to take in deeper breaths. It's harder to have a more resonant voice. Things, I had way more phlegm. And that's an issue when you're Mm. singing too. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening. But Yes, definitely what I needed to do and what I would suggest is you you just have to take those deep breaths and try to relax that lower belly because when the by the time the baby's on the outside we can we start to remember oh okay my my lungs are long they go from the top to the bottom and when I take in these breaths I really want to fill it all up. We tend to just fill mm-hmm. up here in our chest. And then we sing a little bit stressful over here in our throat, you know, but what we really want to take breath from the bottom as well, which is harder. So definitely working on breaths as we're singing and, um, and maybe experimenting too with, you know, high tones and low tones. This is one that I do with them all the time is that when we're in a group, and this can be done alone too, but when we're, especially when we're in a group, when we sing, let's say twinkle, twinkle, first we'll go through a few different times. First we'll sing it just sort of whispering and we'll kind of like sing it into our baby's head like the baby's a little microphone and we'll just feel our breath reflected back to us. No pressure, just kind of whispering it to, to our baby. And then we'll sing it again and we'll only focus on the breaths in between the phrases. So twinkle, twinkle, little star breath. How I write. So to just making sure that we take breaths between phrases. And on the third time we sing it, I'll ask the parents to forget about listening to themselves and only listen to everyone else. This is hard, Mm. but can you almost like forget about your own voice. Just imagine your voice is naturally going out the way you want it to. And and now listen to how everyone else is singing to you. And every time we did that, everyone would get a little louder because they weren't thinking about themselves anymore. They were just listening and giving, and people would say after a while, I was so soothed by her and her and I heard you and I heard you. And so we get out of our minds, but when we're alone, we can kind of do that too. And it's another exercise I do when I'm singing is to imagine that I, my voice is coming from the outside. It's as if Mm. some sort of varied fairy godmother is singing to me (laughs) from the outside and soothing me and soothing, let's say me and my baby. And so I think it's so good to to just get out of, I sound bad, I sound good, I sound, you know, I, I'm tired, my yeah. voice is tight. Get out of it and just imagine it's not even coming from inside you. 
And if you want to go ahead and practice that, it was smart when you're saying to put the earbuds in just even one ear so that you don't even think about yourself in the beginning, but you just start getting rid of that self-conscious aspect. I love that. Yes. And I especially love it for pregnancy is that, and I do this non-pregnant too, but when I'm when I'm feeling tight in my throat or in my chest, I imagine that my mouth is on my belly. I imagine it's like going straight from my belly out to the world. And I think it's sort of nice to do during pregnancy because you're you can almost imagine your baby is singing with you. You know, it's your belly singing. Yeah. So that we don't have to go through all this stuff. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because um in singing, I mean, I've been singing for years and years. My mom's a singer. Mm-hmm. And in the lessons that I've taken, I've had several different teachers and professors that have told me actually, <laughs> female professors mostly, but um, to sing into my female parts, mm-hmm. like sing down into your vagina. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of guttural feeling, mm-hmm. it's something about it opens up and lets go and you drop down just like you were talking about earlier and gets it out of being up in your chest. Yeah, I love that. We'll be right back. This episode of Mamas in Training is supported by Nussel, Mama's Milk Wrap, a full coverage, hands-free pumping and breastfeeding aid. With its soft fabric, the Nussle wraps around your torso, providing moist heat therapy to encourage letdown of your breast milk. While doctors usually recommend hot showers to encourage milk production, the Nussle allows you to have complete coverage, stay dry, and fold your laundry at the same time. When you're ready to start the dry-up process, simply pop it in the freezer for 30 minutes and lay it across your chest. The cold compression of the Nussle signals the brain that the breasts are full and slows production. One Nussle mama says that her dry-up time has gone from one year to less than one month. Heat and cold therapy of the Nussle lasts 20 to 30 minutes and can be used on other parts of your body for pelvic pain or back pain. One client even said that her teenage daughter uses it for her period cramps. The Nussle is perfect for the entire household. It's also an ideal baby shower gift. It can be used right away as a pregnancy belly support and a postpartum belly compression. Nussle is with you throughout your entire motherhood journey and beyond. If that wasn't enough, the Nussle also comes with a free lactation consultation with one of their team experts. Nussle Mama's Milk Wrap is a product and a service for only $59.95. And just for listeners of this podcast, they are offering 15% off. So go to mamasmilkwrap.com and enter the promo code MAMASINTRAINING to grab your Nussle and 15% off. Now back to the show. So our babies are on the outside. They're first born. What are some things now that they can do, that we can do with them to encourage that continuation of music? Okay, so the very first thing I teach parents is to start understanding your baby's cues and signals through tone and rhythm and all this stuff. Meaning, what are the subtle cues in the face? And it's really like face, body, voice. That's how our baby 
relates to us. That's their language. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be English, of course. It's going to be these other things. So what are these subtle cues that your baby's doing to show you that they're getting fussy, that they're overstimulated, that they're overtired? And so to start to look for these, and we do name some of these, and then we look at some happy cues, like for instance, I'll give you one, when they're fussier, their vocalizations are going to be more guttural, more like sort of the way the way we go, oh, God, oh, right, I'm right. so tired, as opposed to when they're happy, it's like, ah, higher type of babbly. So mm. um, even just that, the difference between the high and the low, or like um, with their body, they're, when they're overtired, it's going to be more jagged movements as opposed to more fluid movements when they're happy and alert. And then we go into the soothing method, which is really what the idea is to try to help the parents use their voice as another pair of arms, as another way to hold. Because we think okay, I just have my hands, my arms, I'm going to, you know, bounce my baby, put them down, that's going to be soothing, or a pacifier, you know, the devices. But we have a whole nother tool, which is our voice. And this voice is portable, it's going to go with us wherever we want. When the baby's in the back seat, and we can't hold them, we're still going to be able to hold with our voice. When we're like in the bathroom and the baby's in the bouncy seat and now the baby's crying and we just can't get to them, we're going to be using our voice. So we start to learn how to use, it sounds like, oh, and we go through different ways to do it, longer notes, but really the idea is that the vowel O happens deepest in our diaphragm. So it's the most soothing sound. It emulates the womb. And then we start talking about how to use music with your daily routine. Lullaby is a perfect example because as we said before, babies remember music and they associate it with a feeling. So like just the way they associated, you know, Metallica with mama mm -hmm. feeling good, they associate a song, they can associate a song with sleep. And you guys, if you remember nothing else from this podcast, episode, please take this, which is that pick, pick your lullaby and be consistent with it. Because the more you're consistent with it, your baby is going to associate that lullaby with sleep. And you're going to start singing the lullaby. The baby's just going to yawn and, you know, rub their eyes yeah. and they're, they're going to be tired because it's going to be a physical association, a very behavioral cue. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's what the lullaby, but the same kind of theory goes with them having a morning song. So for the reunion, you know, you're going to sing your morning song, baby's going to start to know, oh, okay, she sang this now. She did not sing it at 3am. She didn't sing it at 5am. She sings this now. Yeah. And this is our reunion song. This is our time to be together. There's other elements to it, which is like singing it when you're still in the dark room with the white noise, and then slowly moving out so that you're helping your baby transition to the chaos, to the light. But same thing with baths. It's it, you know, it's really the idea of the cleanup song. So maybe people understand yeah. or remember, right? Preschool kids, like what does the preschool clean teacher up, do exactly? Everywhere. Right, yep. and then the kids are sort of like robots starting to clean. So it's yep. it's the same kind of um, principle, and it really it really does work. I mean, the reason music works more than if I'm going to say every night something like, okay, I love you, baby. 
I'll see you tomorrow. Mama loves you so much. And then the next day I go, it's bedtime. Bye. I love you. I'll see you soon. Every time I change it. But with a song, mm. every time it's going to repeat, sleep, my baby, sleep, my baby. Not only that, there are research studies showing that parents who are non-musicians tend to sing their lullaby in the same key every single night, not even realizing <laughs> it. <laughs> and there, then there, there are so many other things that are not straight ahead related to music, like I said before, related to really our way of speaking with our baby, like mirroring their vocals. So mirroring our baby's vocals really encourages language. And um, mm. there's ways to do it that can encourage even more. Like if we really stretch our vocal dexterity and we try to do all the vocalizations that our baby does, leaving the space, letting your baby respond, it really turns into this conversation. And this Again, studies show this will help your baby develop language. Um, I also find yeah, that, at least with the kids that I've babysat and things like that, the kids really remember through song so much better than just if you tell them something. So I've found that if I want a child to remember something, if we make a song to whatever it is, it can be two weeks that we don't come back to it. But I say, now, what was that? How does this thing happen? And then they sing it and they remember. Yes, yes. So I that's love that. even something I feel like when, you know, when they're even toddlers and, right. and you're going into that phase and they're really starting the educational yeah. aspect of things. It's like, right, that can be useful too. Right. It's like the ABC song. And, you know, we actually do it intuitively. Babies' first words tend to be the ones that we intuitively sort of sang. Like for many babies, their first mm -hmm. word is, uh-oh. Why? Because every single time we sing song it, it can really aid with language. So then hand gesture songs come in because it's a way to help them use all modalities, use auditory and visual and kinesthetic and um, tactile as to understand language and symbols. And so we're kind of doing all these motions and the more we do it over and over, they know more. Now you don't really need a song for it as long as you just, you know, keep using a hand gesture with the way. And usually, actually, yeah. more is one of those that we tend to sing song to because we go more, 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 and we do the hand more, gesture, right. and so they get it. Isn't it funny how we naturally do these things, but you just don't necessarily think to implement them or think that, you know, if you implement them more, <laughs> more, if you in implement them more, how much development you can see from that and how much yeah. change. Yeah. So this is all connected to attachment theory. There are five elements that you talk about that can improve attachment. So first being consistency, second being being attuned, third getting in sync, so talking about the rhythm, fourth engaging, talking about dynamics, and then fifth, which we've talked about a lot, soothing. So yeah. going back to the beginning, consistency. You mentioned this is sort of like a Pavlovian response with the lullaby and all of this yeah. and keeping that consistent all the way through daily. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, there's two ways to think about consistency. One is with actual behavioral things like having a lullaby, like let's say, um, bring, you know, always having a dark room or trying to be on a routine, all that. But what consistency means, first of all, with attachment theory is our, our responses. 
And a lot of it is intuitive. So nobody should go home and be like, oh my God, I'm going to have to figure out like how I'm going to be consistent. And, and moms might be hearing this and going, I'm not always consistent. We actually very intuitively do it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like if our baby cries, we go, what's wrong? Come here, baby. Mm-hmm. And if our baby smiles, we smile at them back. We we consistently respond in the same way. And that's teaching our babies that they can count on us. So the second one is being attuned, which I think is so interesting because you talk about it connecting to their current state or the state we want to put them in, right? right. And those transitions into bedtime right. or into morning time or right. whatever. Right, exactly. I mean, really, it has to do with those cues we were talking about before um, is is trying we're constantly working to attune. That's, you know, that's why I call my business baby in tune. This is like, this is the work yeah. of the parent is to constantly attune to what's right in front of us. Take in every moment our baby's responses as is and say, okay, what is my baby communicating right now? Is my baby communicating overtired, overstimulated, happy, engaged, um, you know, and according to every single minute, how am I going to respond to that in a new way? Mm-hmm. So the third one is getting in sync, which we talked a little bit about this rhythm that we can start dancing or swaying or bouncing during pregnancy. And then of course, when they're born and yeah. having that be consistent and matching it all the time, yeah. I think it's important to say, and this is what I want you to just sort of touch on. You mentioned that even at 4 a.m. when you don't necessarily want to have the rhythm, have some sort of synchronicity with that, but that's when we really need it, Mm, right? Totally. Not only that, that's when it's going to help us because Mm -hmm. at 4 a.m., we're going like this, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Oh my God, I want to go to sleep. (laughs) This is awful. But if we actually just get into the rhythm if we just get more in sync twinkle twinkle now i'm bouncing the baby to the rhythm the baby's Mm -hmm. gonna feel way more relaxed i'm gonna have increased stamina i now can sing this two times through because this is way more enjoyable for me too and it lowers your cortisol levels too which will help at 4 (laughs) a.m Yes, I would think. Yes, I think the number one key of all this is if your soothing method is not soothing you at the same time, it's just not going to work. Yes, yes, absolutely. So number four is engaging. I think this is important for us to remember because we can get so caught up in the way things normally are or should be. But it's those responses to dynamics, right? Playing with the high and the low and the starts and the stops and the loud and the soft. Yes. So there's two ways to think about it. One is leading the play and leading the engagement, leading these dynamics like you're talking about. Like even just a shaker going, shake, stop. And the babies love that anticipation. And then engaging also has to do with letting your baby lead the play and engaging with them exactly where they are, which would mean being in their explorer state, being fully um, mindful and just our babies, they're like little Buddhas. They're just so present. So when we do this exercise in class, it's really about how can we get into the explorer state so that we can engage with them there too. And finally is soothing, the element of soothing. And I think what I I will take away from this the most, and I hope moms listening and, and mamas in training will listening will take away, is that aspect that when you don't have your arms free, whether that's in the car or you're doing the dishes at their laundry and, and your child needs you, 
but you can comfort them and soothe them with your voice. Yeah, absolutely. All of these elements are so important. Where can people find you, get connected to you in the classes that you do, find your music, tell everyone how they can connect more with you? Okay, so if you want to take a class these days, they're all remote, which has been amazing um, because it's just amazing to connect to parents from all over the world and all over the United States. So that you would find at babyintune.com. And anyone who's listening, you're welcome to come to a trial class. Just tell me, hey, I heard you on the podcast. So that's babyintune.com. And there's some more information there about the classes and everything and, and my approach. Then all the music can be found on Spotify and Amazon and iTunes at Vered. That's V-E-R-E-D. And also I have a lot of stuff on YouTube. So if you're looking for all the hand gestures and um, some videos that that's on YouTube at Baby in Tune. And if you don't have the time um, to co- actually come, you know, weekly to a, a live remote class, I have an online course, which is called Baby Crash Course. So it's babycrashcourse.com. It's like a 10-day class, and it really teaches you all of the stuff I'm, I was talked about here, but a little more in depth. You can go according to your own speed. You can listen while you're nursing. Um, it's just a really mm. simple way to do it. And the final thing is I told, uh, I told Jessica before, I would love to offer you guys, if you want a video on the soothing method, then I'm going to give Jessica the link and, um, or you can go to babyintune.com slash soothing method, but I'll give Jessica the link too. And then you'll be able to download a video and a little cheat sheet of how to do it. That would be amazing. I'll put that link and all the other links to everything that you said in the show notes so people can find it there. Thanks, Farad. That's amazing. And I just, I mean, growing up in a musical family, music has always been so important to me. And the fact that this is so, you know, we can pass this on. It's such a beautiful gift of a part of ourselves that we can pass on to our children It's just really, really important and a missing link that a lot of people don't necessarily think about. And so I hope it encourages a lot of mamas in training out there and a lot of new mamas to dive into. And if you're a mama of, you know, a 5, 10, 12-year-old, it's still not too late. You can still add in amazing uh, opportunities to include music into your life. But I have learned so much from you, and I'm really, really grateful that we had this opportunity to talk. Thank you so much for, for your time and all Thank of your Thank you so much. It's been such a lovely conversation. Honestly, you have done such great research. You were reminding me of things that I wrote. I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> wow, that was good. Um, so thank you oh, for really uh, asking such great questions. It's such a good conversation. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.